Welcome to Policy Today. Thoughtful discussion of current issues vital to the future prosperity of Washington State. Produced by the Washington Research Council. Hi, welcome to another episode of Policy Today. This is Mary Strau with the Washington Research Council. I'm joined today by my colleague, Emily Makings, who has just authored a special report from the Research Council on McCleary and K-12 education funding. McCleary, of course, is the 2012 state Supreme Court ruling, which found that the state was not meeting its constitutional duty to fully fund basic education. Um, and the state is now on a deadline um, that it must meet by 2018 to to do so, to fully fund basic education. So, Emily, um, I'm going to hand it over to you. Uh, this report really covers the waterfront. It goes through what the legislature has ac- achieved so far, what they have yet to do, goes through some ba- the basics of school funding, the school funding system in our state, um, how local levies and the state property tax fit into all of that, and then some of the options that are available um, to lawmakers as a solution. And of course, also looking at the uh, not only what they have left to do, but the cost of what's left to do. So over to you, Emily. Where would you like to start with some of the background information? Yeah, why don't we start with, you know, um, what the legislature has done since the Supreme Court said in 2012, you're not adequately funding um, basic education and you have until 2018 to do it. Okay. Uh, Well, first of all, the state has put in a significant amount of funding into the schools since um, since the 2009-11 biennium, mm-hmm. uh, both related to McCleary and not related to McCleary. So um, since 09-11, spending on public schools has increased by 40.6%, um, while spending on all other items in the budget increased by just 16.2%. So they've wow. really focused more on, on schools. Yep. Um, and in... Um, since uh, 2012, 2013, the state share of school funding has really increased a lot. Um, the schools are funded by with state dollars, local dollars, federal dollars, um, but the state um, amount has really increased significantly while local local sources have pretty much stayed flat. Mm-hmm. And we should mention, um, I should have mentioned this at the beginning, um, what will happen by the time of, you know, com- that McCleary is fully complied with, um, the local school districts will no longer be able to use their local levy dollars for basic education. And we can talk, Emily, you can explain that later, what exactly is basic education. They'll still be able to use those local levy dollars for extra things, just not basic education. The state is going to be responsible for all of that. So. That with with that, go go right ahead. So um, so since the McCleary decision, well, in the McCleary decision, the, the state Supreme Court said that the that a bill that the legislature enacted in two thousand nine, um, if it if it were to be fully funded, it would pretty much uh, take care of the state or the Supreme Court's objections, and that was twenty uh, House Bill twenty two sixty one, and that's the bill that. Um, must be fully implement, implemented by 2018. 
And then in 2010, 27, uh, House Bill 2776 was enacted to uh, basically to implement um, House Bill 2261. And 2776 required the um, four, well, four things to happen uh, mainly. Um, it's it said a minimum allocations for class sizes, staffing levels, um, materials, and also um, programs like the Learning Assistance Program. And the bill set deadlines for some of these items. It required the new transportation funding formula to be fully phased in by the 2013-15 biennium. Material supplies and operating costs had to be fully funded by 2015-16. Um, All day kindergarten had to be implemented statewide by 2017-18. And, and kindergarten through third grade class sizes had to be reduced to 17 students per teacher by school year 2017-18. Okay, great. And that, of course, all of those things you just mentioned are all considered now basic education. Right. Um, and so the, the state has, um, so far, I mean, they've done all of this on time or are on track to do it all on time. Mm -hmm. They fully funded the pupil transportation model in 2013-15, and they um, fully funded the material supplies and operating costs in all-day kindergarten in 2015-17. Also, the 2015-17 budget added um, significant funds for the K-3 class size reduction. They didn't quite finish it, but it, again, that deadline isn't until 2017-18. So, so they have a little time. They do, and they um, are planning to make that those additional funding uh, appropriations. They even included it in their in the maintenance level spending for the four year outlook. Mm -hmm. So it would be um, very strange if they didn't follow through on that. But again, deadline hasn't come yet. So right. So um, that's pretty much where they are on on funding. The Supreme Court uh, said in in January of 2014 that they. It ordered the state to provide a plan for fully implementing its program of basic education by the deadline. And the legislature didn't really do that. Um, and so on September 11th, 2014, the court found the state um, in contempt. And then in August of 2015, the court imposed that $100,000 per day penalty on the state until right. it provides a plan. Right. And as we've mentioned before, that sounds like an awful lot, but... Um, they will be spending much, much more than that um, to fully comply with McCleary anyway. So it's kind of, it's all, it's all going to go to K-12 education. So it, it's actually not as big of a deal as it sounds like. Right. The, the penalty is, is supposed to go to a, to a separate account. Mm -hmm. education. So it's not like it's, it's not like it's supposed to go to the Supreme Court or something. It's yeah. meant for education. So, and it will be eventually that much will be probably spent on education. But. Right. Um, another thing to point out, too, as others have pointed out, is that um, the Supreme Court has issued these fines and um, had some rather harsh words for the legislature. However, they set a deadline for 2018, and the deadline isn't there yet, right. um, which is a little confusing to some. Um, they keep The court keeps insisting on a plan, and what the legislate, what many legislators will say is, well, our legislation is a plan and we've, 
you know, we've uh, achieved these goals so far, and then we're going to achieve these other goals. So um, it's a little questionable about the, the way that the Supreme Court has been reacting, but there you have it. Right. And in, um, and in 2016, this last legislative session, the legislature did enact uh, Senate Bill 6195, which they have said is a plan that complies with the court. The court hasn't responded yet. To right. This. So we'll have to wait and see what they do. But um, they, they did do something. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the remaining requirements under McCleary are really that the legislature must assume responsibility for school salaries that are competitive and sufficient to attract and retain competent teachers. Mm -hmm. And they need to end the use of local levies for basic education, as you mentioned earlier. Right. So the legislature hasn't figured out yet how best to do this or how much it could cost or... So that's that's why this next session is going to be so important because I mean they have a lot of work to do. They've done, they've done, they fulfilled almost the entire McCleary mandate, but they still have this kind of big piece left. Yes, um, and as you note um, in the report, um, part of the legislation they passed last year was to um, appropriate funds to hire a consultant to actually figure out how much is being spent by the local districts um, on basic education that should be, that, that they shouldn't be, um, uh, that they shouldn't be uh, shouldering the cost for that should be shouldered by the state. So, you know, the current guess is that we've got about another three and a half billion to go. Um, but hopefully with the consultants report, legislators will have a much more concrete number than that. Right, that's part of the problem that there's no consensus on how much the um, movie making the state um, be responsible for salaries is actually going to cost because right now apparently legislature or the, the schools and the legislature can't tell the school schools can't tell the legislature how much um, they are spending on basic on stuff that should be basic education and should be um, funded by the state because all of their revenues go into one pot mm -hmm. and then that pot um, pays for basic and non-basic education items. Yeah. So that's the point of this consultant is hopefully they'll get a solid number about how much um, the amount of local revenues that are going towards basic education currently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so you mentioned the $3.5 billion. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the ballpark estimate from a number of the, the estimates that I've seen. Um, it could be higher. It could be lower. As you say, we just don't know yet. Um, there, I mean, it's, but most of, most legislators seem to kind of fall in the $3.5 billion ballpark. Yeah, and we won't even talk about some of the other interest groups that are saying it, the number could be actually, or should be five or 10 billion with a B, yeah. Um, yeah. which is outrageous. There's no, I mean, there's Definitely just not enough money to pay for that. And it pulls in more policies than the McCleary decision contemplates. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, 
Okay, so that's sort of the what we're what we're dealing with in terms of McCleary and uh, you know what the legislature's done, what they still have to do. Um, you know, the other fascinating part of the report is where you're talking about sort of how the school funding system as it is now, and then what role uh, property taxes play, local levies, the state property tax. Um, can you expand a little bit on that? Well, um, so in Washington, there's a, a state property tax and then there are local property taxes. Mm -hmm. And there are limits to how much property tax revenue can be collected each year. There's a constitutional 1% limit um, under which um, tax, the aggregate of all tax levies um, shall not exceed 1% of the true and fair value of such property. Right. And that came about as a result of a, a citizen's initiative. Is that? No, this is the constitutional one. Oh, that was the constitutional one. Okay. Sorry. Right. And so, but it may be exceeded. Um, glad I'm, I'm glad I'm having you on because I've read this thing and I've already forgotten. <laughs> this is why we need you, Emily. Well, yeah, the property tax system is very complicated and I'm not an expert by any means, but, um, but so the constitutional 1% limit, uh, may be exceeded, um, in one in one of the exceptions allowed is for school levies, where um, if a simple majority of voters approve, then they can exceed that limit. Right. Oh, right. Uh, mm -hmm. And then the second property tax limit is the um, statutory 101% growth limit. Mm -hmm. And this is the one that was first approved by voters as Initiative 747. Okay, right. Back in 2001. Right, okay. And so under this limit, a uh, taxing district's levy is limited to the lesser of the previous year's revenues adjusted for inflation or 101% of the previous year's revenues. So there, is, there are these two limits. So you can't just say we're going to increase property taxes necessarily. Yeah. Because there are these limits involved. Yeah. Um, so property taxes due statewide in 2015 actually totaled about $10.3 billion. And of that, 56% were for school levies. That includes the, the state levy, which is dedicated to public schools, and local levies for schools. Okay. And so, and school levies, um, as we've, um, actually I'm not sure if we mentioned or not, but School districts can use local levies to pay for non-basic education programs. We have mentioned it. Um, and, but in, unfortunately, I mean, as we said, part of the problem that's identified in Cleary is that school districts have also used local levies for basic education and practice. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the types of levies that school districts um, put forward for voters are maintenance and operation levies, which are used for day-to-day -day operations, capital project fund levies, which are used for things like school construction and modernization on a pay-as-you-go basis, and uh, transportation vehicle fund levies for school buses, and then finally bond issues to, um, to finance school construction. Okay. And the really interesting thing to me is that maintenance and operations school levies always pass. They have, uh, like in, in 2014, there were 284, 284 districts asked for uh, levy approval, and 100% were approved. Isn't that something? 
Yeah, and that's not uncommon over the yeah. last 10 years at all. And, I mean, we always hear these horror stories about how school levies are failing. Mm-hmm. Most of those are uh, for bonds, actually. Okay. Bonds have a much lower approval percentage. Oh, interesting. But the, the day-to-day maintenance and operation levies always pass, practically. Interesting. That would be, well, that's a, I guess that's a topic for another uh, podcast, why that is. That's fascinating. Well, I mean, one of the reasons is, as we mentioned later in this paper, is that um, home local voters have a very strong incentive to have good schools mm-hmm. because their the value of their home um, is increased if they're good schools. That's right. Yeah, people so, always consider. I mean, if they have school age kids, they're looking at the quality of the schools in the school district. Right, and so and therefore even. Homeowners who don't have children still have an, have an incentive to approve uh, school levies. Right. Because they're hoping to sell their house one day. Absolutely. Um, so, so that's that. And then also um, maintenance and operation levies. I mean, the school districts are limited in their ability to increase revenues um, via levies through the Levy Lid Act. Mm-hmm. which was enacted in 1977. Um, and this was one of the things that led to the um, court case in the 1970s. Yeah, because uh, yeah, McCleary, McCleary wasn't the first one. No, there were two others um, called Duran 1, Duran 2, or it might be Doran 1 and Doran 2. I'm not right. quite positive how to pronounce the judge's name, but... Um, like in, in uh, school year 74-75, levy revenue as a percent of total district revenues was 32.2%, which was really high. Mm-hmm. And after the Levy Lid Act and after these court cases, um, that dropped to 8% in 1980. Wow. And then it's, it crept up again. And so in 2012, it was 20.3%. And then it started to come down again. Okay. Um. But yes, that led to these decisions in the 70s and 80s, and then again to McCleary eventually. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if back then, if people were feeling overtaxed or if they were okay with it because it was at the local level and they had they felt they had more control over it. And of course, they had to vote it up or down. Yeah, and they did. They did have more failures in mm-hmm. the late 70s than we do now. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine with the with the taxes that the uh, yeah. taxes that high. Okay. Um. Okay, so we've got the we've got the. I think we've covered the. Anything else you wanted to say about the property taxes? I don't think so. Okay. Um. So. Why don't we transition next to some of the if um if you think this is the the best way to go to some of the options that are available now okay. to, to lawmakers, um, what different sides are talking about in terms of how do we get this extra, whatever, whatever whether it's $3.5 billion or whatever, um, how do we get that money? I guess it's replacing the money currently spent by the locals on basic education, replacing that with state funding. 
Right. Um, replacement and also making sure that the salaries are um, adequate to retain. Yes. So it mm -hmm. might be more. It could end up being more than what the locals are currently paying. Yeah. So that'll be another big fight in and of itself, determining the, the correct salary level. Right. Um, I guess, first of all, it. I mean, we'd always like to, we'd always hope that economic growth would would cover it, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, currently, the the estimated ending fund balance for the next biennium is negative three fourteen million dollars. Yeah, not, that's not going to do it. Right, and that's not including any of these new McCleary costs that will be will be there. Right. Um, Today, um, these numbers are not included in the paper, but today the Economic Revenue Forecast Council put out a new revenue new revenue forecast, mm -hmm. which did increase, um, show increased revenues for the next couple of biennials, but not enough to cover what we're talking about here. Right. Yeah. So um, several options have been floated. Um, some of the ones that are most often mentioned are a levy swap or a capital gains tax. And a levy swap would it would entail increasing state property taxes and reducing the local school district MNO levies. Right. So, That's the term swap because you're yeah. swapping out the local for the state. Right. And there are you know many ways that this could actually be accomplished. And just as an example, um, uh, so if you increase the state property tax rate and lower, um, district's levy authority, um, if on average the new combined state and local tax rate could be similar to what had previously been there, but the result would vary across school districts. So in property-rich districts, the state rate would, would increase by more than the local rate would decrease. Interesting. So you'd have district by district variation, even though um, on average across the state, it, would, it could be a direct swap. Yeah. Yeah. Some people have talked about it being roughly net neutral. But as you say, within each individual district, you could see. Um, it might not be neutral. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it really depends on how it's how it's written. And, and there, I mean, there have been a number of different proposals over the last several years, and none of them have gone anywhere yet. Mm -hmm. So we'll have to see if something new comes up um, this next session. Right. Um, so then on the other most commonly discussed is the capital gains tax. And this has also been proposed several times in recent years and never enacted. Um, in 2015, Governor Inslee proposed a capital gains tax that would have increased revenues by about $1.8 billion in the next biennium. Um, so that's about, I mean, other proposals for capital gains taxes would have increased revenues by about $1.2 billion. Mm -hmm. So that's, those are the numbers we're, we're talking about here. Um, and also, there are a lot of questions about whether you really want to tie education funding to a tax that is really volatile and may not be constitutional. Yes. Yeah, because, of course, we... Uh, our constitution doesn't allow an income tax, and you right. can make the argument that this is an, a yeah. type of income tax. Um, uh, and yes, and I'll, I'll include in the uh, description of this podcast a link to a 
a report or a paper we did um, last year, maybe the year before, about just how volatile a capital gains tax could be in this state. Um, And we could be in real deep doo-doo if we ended up tying, you know, as you said, public school funding to capital gains. And if there's an economic downturn, um, it would not be a pretty sight. Right. And and some of the proposals, to be fair, do recommend dedicating some of the revenues from such a tax to the rainy day fund mm-hmm. to help kind of even out the ups and downs. But um, still, who knows how that would all shake out. Yes. Um, so those are just two of the main options. Um, also, last year, State Treasurer McIntyre proposed um, making a number of changes to the tax system that would have included taxing income at a flat rate of 5% and then also um, limiting taxes in a number of other ways. And all of this, altogether, this would have increased revenues by about $4 billion of biennium. Yeah. That's... So there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that would be a big... I mean, I'm not even speaking to the... To the merits of um of that but it, that would require so much including i mean wouldn't they have to do a, amend the constitution yeah. Yeah. yeah and they basically got to get everything done this year so yeah. that that's not looking terribly that's likely probably out of the out of the running for this for the immediate term mm-hmm. um but that, i mean that's so that's some of the options that are available but the sky's the limit i guess and who knows what come yeah up i mean who knows what's going to happen um especially the closer they get to a deadline, you know, that has a way of concentrate, uh, concentrating the attention. Um, It may may turn out that after the consultants report that they really need to add much less than we're mm -hmm. talking about now. And it might, they might figure out some way to do it that everyone can agree to quickly and you never know. Yeah. Yeah. You never do. I, I was talking to uh, House Republican Minority Leader Dan Christensen. I can't. It was either late last year or early this year, and he was suggesting that um, perhaps it, it could be that that three point five billion dollar number is rather overinflated. But you know, we'll find out. Whenever uh, isn't the report due in November or December? Um, the consultants' report I, is. It's, yeah, it's due later this year, and then yeah. the task force that's made up of legislators. Okay, the consultants report is due November 15th. Okay, yeah. And then the task force has to make recommendations to the legislature by January 9th. Yes, and then and then they'll probably just, like, like, not the consultants report, that the task force, they'll probably just rip that up and then start all over and, you know, be in session for nine months or a year or something. <laughs> Don't give them ideas. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually not even kidding. Like normally, I'm sarcastic, but I mean, it would shock me if they adjourned before September. But yeah, um, what do I know? Um, okay, and then another intriguing part of the report was sort of look. Uh, it's the the headline is looking at K twelve financing differently, and um, sort of taking a look at how it's done in Massachusetts, which does spend, is always held up as a model. They have, you know, relative to the other states, they have um, 
pretty darn good student achievement. Um, they do spend more per pupil than we do in Washington. However, they have significant contributions to the cost of basic education from local governments. Um, so do you want to talk about that just a little bit? Uh, right. Other, I mean, other states do allow their local um, districts to local um, taxes to cover more of their school funding. And there, it's not that they don't necessarily, the, the students don't necessarily suffer. Massachusetts does very well on um, school, uh, student outcome mm -hmm. um, criteria. Um, I mean, the, Washington's just kind of different because of our, our constitution has the, says that education is the paramount duty of the state. And the way courts have interpreted that is to say that the state itself must fund education. And right. Come from local, um, local levies. Yeah, and I get you know I guess that's that's not necessarily um, that's not necessarily objective. I mean, it seems to me like if you say paramount duty, that could be interpreted as well, just assuring that the funding is there, not necessarily that the state has to provide all the funding. Yeah, but I mean, in practice, the courts have said no. So uh, yeah, that's what we're stuck with for now. Right. So, um, but in, I mean, in practice, the since these court cases, I mean, since uh, the Duran decisions, first of all, had centralized school funding at the state level, per pupil funding in Washington has actually declined relative to other states. Isn't that so, interesting? Yeah. So in '69, from um, in school see, school year, I think it's school year '69-70, Washington um, ranks seventh in the country in expenditures per people. Mm -hmm. And then um, by the time, by 8990, after the Duran decisions, we ranked 25th. Wow. And ever since then, we've been less than the national average. Isn't that something? Meanwhile, Massachusetts is, is spending way more per people. Yeah. So just centralizing funding at the state level doesn't necessarily translate to more funding for students um, than than you would have otherwise, right? And and it also it sort of goes against the trend. I mean, the trend these days seems to be on both sides, um, not for everybody, but uh, the idea that you have it more at the local level. You don't have these top down mandates, whether it's coming from the federal government or the state government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, as I was um, kind of mentioned earlier, there's this idea that local voters have more of an incentive to provide enough funding for schools than than the state does because mm -hmm. they're closer to it. Sure. And, um, I mean, as part of the state budget, education is just one thing of thousands that they have to fund. Right. Um, so... So maybe it would be better if the local level had more had more of a role in funding schools. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also, you know, it's worth pointing out that once the this Supreme Court ruling is fully complied with and the state assumes full funding of basic education, that will, um, if I'm not incorrect, that will make Washington State an outlier 
<clears throat> in terms of, you know, percentage wise, how much of basic education is funded by the state and how much by the local governments. Um, this is not the norm. Um, and, and it also, you know, I've just thought myself about how, how people at the local level will feel about having, um, the ability to fund basic education at the local level, to have that taken away from them. I'm not sure people fully realize the implications of McCleary as it currently stands. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. I guess they're about to, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, and another thing you point out is um, uh, in the report is a, an interesting proposal from Senator Reuben Carlisle uh, from the 36th district in Seattle, um, where he at one point suggested amending the Constitution. Is that right? Um, yeah, I don't know if it would go so far as the proposal, really, but he wrote, he did write um, publicly that uh, it might be a good idea to think about changing the Constitution. He said to reconnect our local dollars to local schools. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's an idea. Again, as you mentioned about the income tax idea, it's probably way too heavy a lift yeah. session yeah. to get a constitutional amendment through. I mean, yeah, that, I, that's not going to happen. I think they're just going to try to they're, they'll be lucky if they can just get through in a decent amount of time and comply with this ruling and then see right. how it works. But, I mean, it's not a bad thing to think about because as it is, I mean, since the 70s, we've been kind of in this this loop where um, uh, state funding of schools drops, whether because of a recession or mm -hmm. and then local levies are increased to make up the difference. Mm -hmm. And then courts rule that the state has to pay more and then repeat ad nauseum. Yes. It just goes on and on and this is this happened again with McCleary. So who's to say it's not going to happen again after McCleary had it. Right. Well, and you do have to think, I mean, one of the, one of the first things um, I was thinking of when contemplating McCleary is, well, what happens, as you said, what happens when the next recession comes? Um, and, you know, the state has all these other obligations, you know, very serious um, social safety net obligations and public safety obligations in addition to education. Um, yeah, something like two-thirds of the state budget cannot be cut. Right. Because it's either constitutionally protected or it's subject to federal rules. Yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. So, well, I... As I've said before, I'm glad I'm not I'm not down there. I don't I don't envy these lawmakers. No, I hope they're all taking you know good vacations or so. I guess a lot of them are campaigning. So <laughs> that's not a lot of fun either. Oh boy. Well, um, thank you, Emily. This is a it's a really fascinating topic, and we will be um, discussing it more throughout the this interim, and then obviously once this, the uh, legislative session starts in January. Um, and we'll provide a link to the report in the podcast description. Um, thank you, Emily, for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, thank you to our listeners. We'll talk to you next time. 
Policy Today is a production of the Washington Research Council, dedicated to providing timely, credible research and policy analysis supporting economic vitality and private sector job creation. For more information, go to researchcouncil.org.